This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hey, basketball fans, and welcome to another episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, and we are here with another fast break edition of Around the Rim, this time with the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collin. Had a full conversation with Coach Collin about a lot of things. Um, obviously, free agency for Atlanta was crazy, but also how she and her staff are preparing for the upcoming draft and much, much more. So you will love that conversation, but we do want to update you, or at church they used to say, apprise you which I don't, I don't know if my pastor was using that correctly. We want to apprise you of some things that are happening. Yeah, I don't know about that. But we want to update you on a big move in the WNBA. I saw it on AP from Doug Feinberg. Not sure where this breaking news originated, but basically the New York Liberty traded Tina Charles to Washington as a part of a three-team deal with the Dallas Wings. The Liberty get back number 9 and 12 and 15 picks. Taylor Hill, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough as well. So there's more to that. But the big headliner is that Tina's on the move. Now, it's listed as a trade, but technically Tina signed with New York um, so that she could get additional monies in her signing with Washington um, if she had done it as a free agent, she would have been limited on the amount of money she'd have, she could have gotten. So it was basically her decision to leave. New York just did her a solid by signing her first to raise the price. But we have another super team now. Um, I was a little concerned about Washington coming out of free agency because they were the one championship contender, obviously defending champs, that seemed to lose more in the free agency than they gained. But with this move by Tina Charles, Emma, Deladon, Tina, I mean, what that look like to you, T? I'm nervous. I think when I – it's been a while since I genuinely thought a team could just, like, seriously go back-to-back since, like, Minnesota. What? The back-to-back? I mean, I'm throwing my son in there. I'm really hoping for a repeat. If we can have a repeat, I'll be with it. But they've just made this. Can the season start today? Can the season start today? And guys, if you're tuning into this podcast, no, we don't know anything about when or if the WNBA season will happen. The draft is happening on this Friday, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Make sure you watch that. But this news just makes everything that much more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Tina definitely is itching to win a championship. New York is is not near as close as Washington is to, to winning or, or contending this year. So Tina's ready to win that trophy. She's still not too far from home. She has a great relationship with Mike Tebow, who coached her in yes. Connecticut. It's going to be a different-looking team, though. I mean, a team that really relied more on their three-point shooting last year. They had to give up Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. Christy Tolliver mm-hmm. is gone, so that changes the floor spacing. And then, you know, how Emma, Deladon, and Tina all work together will be fun to watch. And they got Leilani Mitchell, who I love. She's one of my favorite pitch players. I think so. her, the addition of her is still going to make it hard for people to double-team, though, because all three of them are scorers. Whether or not they're long-range or inside post-presence, they're still scorers. So. Yes. Offense will still be there. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. So that is the news. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. Keep in mind that you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search around the rim, subscribe, comment, 
Leave a rating. Interact with me and Tariqa on Twitter. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at SheKnowsSports underscore. And our podcast is at Around the Rim. Or send us an email if you're old school. Oops. <laughs> Around the Rim podcast at gmail.com. And we appreciate y'all listening. Here is Nikki Collin. All right, basketball fans. Well, it's time for another in-depth interview as we get ready to head into the WNBA draft. And we have with us none other than the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collin. Nikki, first and foremost, how are you and your family holding up and how are you doing right now? Doing well, actually. You know, I think uh, finding a new normal through this. I think the first week was quite frankly, depressing. I didn't feel great um, after being at the SEC tournament and coming back. But then, you know, first it was the Ivy League championship, you know, canceled. And then everything else that followed kind of between not feeling well and, you know, just the uncertainty around the world. It was a little scary and, and depressing. But I think, you know, for a lot of coaches in our league and a lot of people, the draft kind of has has been motivating, knowing that, you know, that's on the horizon. And, talking to prospects and doing homework and all that, that stuff is, has been good through this. And my family's good. Nobody's gotten sick. Um, you know, the weather's been pretty good here in Atlanta lately so we can get outside. Um, so hanging in there for sure. Yeah. Weather has been good though. The pollen is uh, uh, become a little bit of an issue. And when you said doing well, I wish fans, you know, we do put up a portion of this for video, but fans, we just finished like telling Nikki how fantastic she looks. So doing well is an understatement because I think she has someone at her house doing her hair, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but when you mentioned the shortened college season, how did you have to change your preparation for the draft without the opportunity to see some of those players play on an NCAA stage with the bright lights against the best teams in that top 64. Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways as coaches, we're doing prep all season long. So we certainly had been out um, and seen games in person and had our fair share of video uh, to access. But I, I think in some ways it affects potentially some prospects more than others. Um, you look at, you know, I was getting ready to jump on a plane and, and go see Bella Allery play in the Ivy championships may have even, you know, followed Princeton to that first and second round to continue to see her play against, you know, high-level competition. Um, you know, you look at a Megan Walker who came out and a little bit surprised us um, in terms of, you know, her declaring. And you can certainly go back and see the kid is going to make corner threes and, and do certain things really well. But she obviously struggled in the big games, in the games against Baylor and South Carolina. And so, you know, her having more opportunities to play, um, you know, you want to see the cream rise to the top. You want to see players compete at the highest level. So disappointing to not see that. But I think for the most part, you do enough homework, and it's not the first year we've seen them. Um, So, you know, it's kind of uh, over time. It's the resume that they build over time. Yeah, for sure. Now let's dig a little bit into how draft operations will look for you, for your staff, for the Atlanta Dream organization with this social distancing and and, and virtual in some senses. Um, how will Friday night go for you guys? Yeah, I mean, for for me, admittedly, like I've I've been through four drafts in this league. Um, my first draft, I actually was on Connecticut staff, but was finishing up my collegiate season and hadn't really moved up to Connecticut. And so, you know, on draft day, when when we drafted Morgan Tuck and made the trade uh, for Jonquil Jones in the first round, and 
you know, I was really disappointed to kind of miss out on the excitement in the draft room, you know, when that happened, you know, and being remote at that time. So I'm almost going to compare it to that. You know, there's something really special about being in the war room, the draft room, um, you know, the camaraderie between staff and, you know, kind of the excitement of, you know, our draft board and how things play out. And so it'll, it'll look a little different for everybody this year, but you know, we'll all be separated. Chris, um, our GM is in Connecticut. I'll be here at home. Um, my assistant, Mike Peterson is home in Texas and Darius Taylor is home in Athens. So we'll be spread out. We'll be zooming like everybody else. Um, you know, and, and still in some ways figuring that out, you know, Chris was trying to get down here and really just made the decision, um, early this week, um, to stay at home and, and figure out how to do it. So we're still in planning mode. We've got a four o'clock call. <laughs> you know, to, get it, to really get it all organized. Right. Well, Taya and Lauren had not yet figured out what dress they were wearing for Friday. So everyone's in a bit of a scramble getting ready yeah. for this draft. Yeah. I think that's all good. You mentioned your uh, GM, Chris Yanko, um, and you two have worked closely and, and hand in hand. You were coach of the year and GM of the year, your first season at the Dream. Um, what is the working model for fans that may not know and understand between a, a, a head coach and a GM when it comes to say the free agency period that you guys just had, but also getting ready for the draft? Well, I think I can only speak to my experience. I think probably in different places um, that that relationship can look differently in terms of how much say a GM has versus a coach. Um, There's no doubt that for me, I have total control over player personnel and who I want to coach. Um, Chris is an incredible facilitator and making calls and doing contracts and He's great with agents and any, anytime we're in a trade situation, he's going to handle any and all uh, conversations with a trade. Uh, when it comes to talking to players on the phone and when it comes to assessing who we think is the best fit, you know, he leaves that up to me. Who do I want to coach? Who fits what I want to do, how I want to play, you know, we, what we want our team to look at, look like. And so it's, I'm on the phone with, you know, for all the free agents. Um, and, you know, we may have them jump on at some point, but for the most part, that's me. And then we, we kind of divide and conquer at times when it comes to agents and relationships and how we communicate with people. Um, so we just kind of, uh, we tend to, especially during free agency, if I'm on a call with a prospect and I get off or for that matter, free agent, I get off the phone, I call him, I update him. So we just kind of banter back and forth uh, throughout the day in terms of what it's going to look like. Well, there had to be a lot of bantering happening during this free agency period <laughs> because I'm looking at your roster and wow, I mean, Glory Johnson and Shakina Strickland and Courtney Williams, of course, big splash, like across the board, um, looks very different. What was the plan going into this free agency? And ultimately, um, what do you, what did you want to address in that overhaul? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we obviously ended the season last year. Mid-season last year, I, I had to I had to look in the mirror. I had to look at my team um, as we were struggling. And amazingly at the time, I remember thinking, we, we have to be on pace to be the worst shooting team in the history of the WNBA. And, and I remember us digging into the background of that. And about midway through the season, we were trailing like the Miami Soul from like 2001 as the worst shooting team in the history of the league. Um, we improved that a little, um, but certainly as the season went along, we just couldn't climb out of holes because we couldn't make enough shots. Um, 
our defense wasn't quite as good as the year before, but it wasn't that bad. We just were consistently, you know, it's so much easier to set your defense when you make shots. Um, and so when you're constantly in a situation where you make one out of three shots, that means it gives the other team um, so many oper- more opportunities to be transition offense. And so put a lot more pressure on our defense. We weren't as good in transition defense as a result. So, you know, we knew we had to remake our team on the offensive side of the ball. And and I know I've gotten um, a reputation as being a defensive-minded coach. And, and nobody's wrong in saying that. Um, but at the same time, part of that reputation comes from I was given the job once of being a defensive coordinator. And I wanted to be good at it. You know, if I'd have been given the job as an offensive coordinator, I would have wanted to be good at it, you know. And so I studied offenses, so I knew how I wanted to defend them. I studied great defensive-minded coaches and kind of came up with my own philosophy. So I'll always look through a defensive lens. That part is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to play more to the analytics. We were dead last in the league in three-point field goal percentage. We were second to last in the league in scoring around five feet. So you know, we got together as a staff um, in early January and kind of put a wish list together. And honestly, right at the top of it was Kalani Brown, because we thought she could plug the hole of score inside five feet, you know, give us more opportunities around the rim, rim protection, one-on-one against the bigs in our league. And so we started from there, knowing that she also could stretch all the way to the arc and, you know, kind of work from there in terms of, you know, looking at who are the best shooters in free agency, Shakina Strickland, Sugar Rogers, you know, and kind of building out our wish list and then allowing free agency to kind of play out and see, you know, Shakina Strickland wasn't realistic, quite frankly, until Dewana Bonner signed in Connecticut. So you have to be patient, you know, to some degree and see how things play out and be ready in some ways to pounce when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I mean, it, it. as the pieces were coming together, you know, it, wow, I mean, it was a crazy free agency all the way around, but it was kind of like, wow, Atlanta is, I mean, you kind of had a complete overhaul almost when it comes to the key players on your roster. Um, and, and speaking of which, I wanted to ask you, um, I know that it was difficult, or how, I guess that's, that's the question, is, is how challenging was the decision making and the ultimate decision of uh, moving on from from Angel McCautry. You know, there were a lot of difficult decisions here. And I think that, um, you know, we're always told this is a business, you know, that professional sports are a business. But, you know, admittedly, I'm a relationship person. And I think I feel and um, attached to people and players and situations a little bit harder um, than than most and I think I'll get out of this game at the point where you know I, I change that and think of it truly as a business and only business related but I think you know this franchise has been all about Angel um, and last year certainly it was difficult to you know and, it, and it's part of the game she earned um, a guaranteed contract she got injured playing for us you know we were never going to rush her back but we certainly Um, struggled at times not having either the room in the cap to replace her or her out there, you know, kind of helping us along. And so, you know, I think for us, one of the hardest decisions, and I don't think people quite understand, like, you know, we have the ability to core her and keep her. But when you look at that and you look at how much that core costs on your cap, and at the time, you know, she, she was just starting to play again. And it's just, it's scary to build around someone and, and look at them as your marquee player when you're not sure how ready 
um, they're going to be or what it's going to look like. You know, we had seen her play like two games with Kursk in limited minutes overseas. And so some of it was us, Chris and I getting on the phone with she and her agent and, and talking about what she wanted and how she felt about the dream. And, and I think it was just kind of a mutual decision to allow, allow her to test free agency and see what might be the right fit for her and to chase her dreams and kind of a chance for us to reboot all the way around and kind of take the dream in a different direction going forward. Yeah. And of course you still have a, a lot of that core with Renee Montgomery, Tiffany Hayes, Elizabeth Williams. So even with the new pieces in, there's still a, a good piece of, of the core of your team that's still intact. Um, I'm curious just your general thoughts on how you think as we're, you know, coming off of this free agency discussion, how do you think the new CBA will impact, um, these decisions about your roster in the future? Yeah, I can tell you that, um, you know, every free agency period has been different for me. And I'm sure coaches that have been in this league a long time can say certain years are more similar than others. But the combination of the moves that we wanted to make, the aggressive um, nature that we were going into the CBA, and then the opportunity with the, you know, additional cap space and room, it made for a like ridiculously fast and furious um, process, you know, and certainly trying to figure out and not fall into the trap of overspending because you have it right now, because you absolutely, it, you always have to weigh in, in professional sports and being a professional coach, you have to weigh the win now versus, you know, looking one, two and three years out, you know, and you want to do those things. You want to look at that spreadsheet and and look at your cap management page and go, okay, in a year, so-and-so comes off contract in two years, Tiffany Hayes and Elizabeth Williams come off contract. And you have to think about how you're going to allocate your resources so that when they do come off right now, Tiffany Hayes is going to be one of the most underpaid players in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, relative to how good she is. Same with a Sylvia Fowles or a Diana Taurasi this year, a NECA, you know, but a year from now, NECA is going to want to get paid. Taurasi is going to want to get paid. So, you know, you have to basically balance that out. And I think the unintended consequences of that ultimately is going to be, I really don't believe this is going to be a league of 144 players anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, over, over time, this is going to be, we're all going to be uh, having 11 players and we're going to be looking more the 132 number uh, because the players are going to be expected to be paid what they believe they're worth, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and when there's competition for players, someone's going to pay them that much. And so, you know, you're always going to be in that situation and, and you don't have as much room because there's so much discrepancy now between, you know, a max salary and a rookie salary um, that I just think you're going to see fewer players in the league. Yeah, I didn't see this confirmed, but to your point, I think I saw somewhere that with the the Tina Charles move that the news we just got this morning um, that Washington, I believe, may be down to 11 on their roster. So that may be a trend. And that's something else I'd love to just get your opinion on. You know, um, you know, with the Tina Charles move, it just takes us back to free agency. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What would you say? Deep breath, right? I know. I I know. you know, with that move, everyone's been talking about super teams. Just in your mm-hmm. general opinion, do you think that's where the WNBA is? And do you think that's where this league is headed? You know, I, I think it's going to play out over time. It certainly looks like that with, with obviously Vegas kind of starting it and then Christy Tolliver going to L.A. 
But I think it's going to evolve each year, you know, when teams have to start paying players more. And so you're going to be at the point where if you're going to call a super team, a team that has three mega stars, um, all making max salary, and then, you know, a lot of rookie contracts, because that's what they're going to need to stay under the cap. Um, you know, I think the difference between our league and the NBA is we do have a hard cap. So to some degree, you can't make the kind of super team that you can in the NBA. They can say, we'll pay whatever we want. We'll pay that luxury tax and, and do what we want to do. You know, we yeah. still have to stay within a cap structure. So, you know, people make hard decisions a year from now. What is Washington going to do? You know, when Misaman comes off her max next year and Ariel Powers, who decided to sign a really, you know, inexpensive contract yeah. a year ago, like, you know, when players, even if they're not asking for max, but someone's going to pay those guys as unrestricted free agents a lot more than maybe they can pay. I mean, yeah. right now they can stay at 11 with Misaman on max and Tina, you know, taking probably less than max to make that move. You know, and so, but now all of a sudden you've got a kid making 70 or 80,000 that can make 150 and you don't have room anymore. Yep. And you've traded away all your draft picks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those things are flying through the air, aren't they? <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. <laughs> the hot commodity is definitely the draft pick. Um, no, that makes perfect sense. It, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, un, un, unfortunately, and I, I just had a conversation about this yesterday, it's like, you, you keep your fingers crossed that we play this summer, that the WNBA does start up because there's so much momentum coming off of this. But also it's like the CBA is dependent on percentage of revenue from year to year. You know, what does that look like if there isn't any for this season? And will the CBA be adjusted? Like there's so many questions and things, but, um, you know, uh, just so much excitement thinking about what this season could really be yeah. whenever it starts and hopefully it starts soon. Uh, last question for you. Um, about the dream specifically is your new facility. Yeah. Which yeah. I haven't even gotten out to see yet. I'm oh, embarrassed okay. to say that, but I've heard a lot of really good things about it. Just give us a, an idea of what kind of opportunity this presents for Atlanta. Well, you know, I mean, for me, you know, I, I joke all the time that it's my third facility in three years and, and, you know, there's, there's pros and cons with all of them. You know, I, I liked the size of Georgia tech, but back a house was messy and, hard place for fans to get in and out of. And so, you know, we had, you know, conflict there. I mean, State Farm is as beautiful a facility as there is, you know, in the United States, but, you know, it, it could be really hollow with six or 7,000 fans in it when it seats 20, um, even though it had all the the pro bells and whistles. And, um, and so I wasn't sure when I first toured Gateway, when it was being built, how I felt about it. I knew the size. I was a little like, okay, are we going backwards? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but coming off having, you know, been in Washington's arena and seeing the impact that the fans could make there and knowing, you know, when I, when I think about the roster we have and players like Courtney Williams and, you know, that are, are going to be fan favorites and, and can really get a crowd into a game. Right. I think we have an opportunity to, you know, have a crowd, have an arena that impacts the game that can truly make a difference and not just be there to watch it, not just be there to say they were there. Um, but can really take ownership in helping us win games, um, you know, and so I'm excited about that. But it really started with, you know, the way the facility is run and the desire for that facility. They, they just really wanted the dream, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I think in the world we live in and we talk about um, being in women's athletics and, 
and get in the shaft at times. You know, I just feel like it's a place that wanted us from the beginning and to feel wanted, it feels really good and not be fighting for space and, Mm -hmm. you know, having the ability to schedule games and not have dates that we can't get in. There are very few um, to be the priority um, that the people that run the facility, you know, are more than willing to work with us on how to maneuver the back of house and, and make it right. And so, for, for me as a coach, it's about making the players, even in a small, smaller venue, feel like they're truly being treated like professionals, that they're like rock stars from the day they, you know, are start there and the minute they pull up to the building and how they're treated when they come in um, to how they are treated when they leave. And so I, I just have a really good feeling about how both, you know, will feel as well as all the visiting teams that come. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, I mean, we we could see some of this facility stuff come into play even this summer when you think about now there was a gap in the schedule for the Olympics that's not happening. Well, who has their home facility available um, right. and, and doesn't have conflicts, especially without knowing what the NBA is going to be doing and both of them will be playing at the same time? Those teams that have their own space are, are definitely at a, a huge advantage. Um, and not to mention – in the playoffs, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen WNBA teams displays <laughs> during the playoffs yeah. and it ends up being, you know, like you don't get to play in front of your home fans and that's a game in a single elimination situation. That can yeah, I mean, really just costly. think about, you know, LA going home last year in the playoffs and, and needing to win and Staples is such an amazing crowd yes. environment. And, you know, they're, they never play there, you know, during the playoffs. And so certainly it, it affects teams across the board when they, when they don't have the priority scheduling, you know, when it comes to overlap with NHL, NBA, whatever it is, big concerts. So, yeah, I mean, we're excited. I mean, it's, it's hard now. Um, you know, we were excited about, you know, new logo, building a new team, uh, new arena, even, you know, new practice space for us. And so, you know, the whole stoppage in the world, quite frankly, that that was part of that whole depression thing I went through for a week where it was like, you know, like we've put all these things in motion and we're so excited to kick everything off. And we were at that time where between draft prep, you're really what you're doing is you're you're building out your playbook, you know, with your new roster so that you're ready on the 26th. And all of a sudden when you don't know where that day is, I mean, admittedly, like, you know, you laugh, but like I started a 30 day challenge, um, just for food and other things. Cause I need, I need something like yeah. I'm one of those goal driven, like, give me a date out on the calendar. Give me something, you know, I'm in day 19 of this 30 day challenge and, you know, haven't had a drop of coffee. I'm like a five up a day coffee drinker. Haven't had a drop of coffee. Haven't, you know, yeah. So, but it, it kind of, you know, those things keep you motivated. Yeah. So you know, it'll be nice to hit a point where we start to see the country reopen, where we can suddenly at least, you know, project out what could or should or is going to happen so that, you know, we can kind of start to get ourselves in that mode. Yeah, I heard um, Dr. Fauci say something maybe today or yesterday that, um, you know, he could see sports happening again this summer, but definitely without fans. And he had some he had some scenario where teams would have to stay in hotels and they would get tested. Seemed a little complicated. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just hope the ball starts bouncing again. That would be For nice. sure, yeah. yeah I, I think be- being away from the gym and, you know, even talking to our own players and draft prospects and you think about, like, all the things 
how different they are, whether they have access to a gym, whether they can play in their backyard, whether they're in an apartment and feel like they're not comfortable leaving, you know, even, even people's own personal comfort is affected in this time. You know, I, I talked to Renee Montgomery. She's like, I'm, I'm seeing the natural light in, you know, a month, like she's a germaphobe and it's like, I could catch it walking down the street. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, so everybody, you know, everybody's seeing this kind of differently and, and, you know, dealing it with it differently. Yeah. Well, coach, we appreciate your time and hopefully we'll all see each other again in the gym really soon. But until then, good luck on draft night and congratulations on all the exciting things happening in the off season. Thank you. Um, And thanks for joining around the rim. It's always good to talk to you. All right, basketball fans, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Around the Rim. We want to thank you for your support. We also want you to know that we are thinking of you and praying for you during the times that our country is experiencing right now. Uh, Tarika and I both would love to keep in touch with you via Twitter. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at SheKnowsSports underscore. Our podcast handle on Twitter is at Around the Rim, and you can email us at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, WNBA League Pass is free right now. The league did make an announcement that training camp in the beginning of regular season will be delayed, but enjoy League Pass for now. Enjoy the draft April 17th, 7 p.m. on ESPN, and Tariq and I will see you on our next episode. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.